We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jim Halloran with a question. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you today there, my friend. It's Jim he, Jim says, uh, Brian, are you talking about the difference between productive and versus efficient? To me, productive is the number. Statistics, efficient is what you do. Uh, it is do you do what you do when you have to do it? Again, I don't, I don't think it's both, right, Jim? I mean, to me, statistics mean nothing without context. And so that's why at the beginning of the show, I felt it was important to spend the time looking at the numbers to show the foundation, but then also provide the proper context to understand what those numbers really mean. And so you could score 35 points a game and be a championship caliber offense. You could score almost 40 points a game like Notre Dame did and not be a championship offense. And uh, I mean, look at Michigan this year and compare, compare Notre Dame and Michigan's offenses this year. Michigan scored 35.9 points per game. Notre Dame scored 39.9 points per game, right? This year I'm pull up the, I'm just going to compare the two numbers. This, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's wild. I mean, cause again, you talk about what do numbers tell you? They, they just tell you the, like you said, the production, but they don't tell the whole story, which is why I felt it was important to provide context. Notre Dame scores 39.2 points per game. Michigan this year averages 382.7 yards per game, 6.2 yards per play. Notre Dame averaged 432.2 yards per game and 6.95 yards per play. This year, Notre Dame averaged, or Michigan averaged in the running game, 169.1 yards per game. Notre Dame averaged 185.7. Michigan averaged 4.5 yards per play or per carry. Notre Dame averaged 5.3. So when you look at all those different things, you're like, dude, like why wasn't Notre Dame better? Because Ohio State or Michigan scored 24 points against Penn State, 31 points against 30 points against Ohio State, 27 points against Bama, and 34 points against Washington. And Notre Dame's big games, they scored 14, 20, and 23. That's the difference. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Because when the, when the lights were brightest, they didn't step up. And I felt that's why I felt it was important to kind of dive into that conversation, Jim, to point out like the numbers are good. Because like here's the problem that you come down to, Jim, when you talk about looking at this past year's offense. It is you can you can look at all these numbers that I've presented, right? And and say, man, best best scoring offense in over 100 years, right? Uh yards per play, second best by 0.07 away from the best since the end of World War II. Right, and you look at all these numbers that were really most points that a no, no no Notre Dame team in history has scored more offensive points than this year's off team did offensively. So even forget defense and sp- take all those away, they still scored more points than any offense than any team team in Notre Dame history. And so, to me, you you can't ignore that and act like it means nothing. And that's the mistake a lot of Notre Dame fans made, where you know they're asking about Jared Parker and somebody jokingly puts. You know, semi-pro, that's so disrespectful. You don't score 39 points a game and do the things they did if your offensive coordinator sucks or is even just below average. It's not possible. Your talent is not that good right now. And and so, but but you also have to say, but was it good enough? Not even close. But to ignore the, the, the lots of good, because it wasn't good enough, to me, misses the mark. And so what I've always tried to do in this conversation was say there were some things Jared Parker did this year that deserve a lot of criticism. The Ohio State game in the fourth quarter, no question about it. The overall Louisville game, uh, the, the Duke game in the second half to me was not good. The Clemson game was not good. There were some things that and, and and when those things happened, go read our responses, go watch our shows. Very critical of the job he did. But to so overfocus on that, to miss the fact that Notre Dame scored at least 40 points nine times this year. You know how many times that's happened in Notre Dame history? Zero. No times ever. The most they've ever had is six ever. Notre Dame had six this year just on offense. And so to me, you can't ignore that either. And that's why I've always said Jared Parker got treated very unfairly by Notre Dame fans. Very. Did he deserve criticism at times? Absolutely. Because your job is to be at your best against Ohio State, against Clemson, against Louisville, against Duke, 
and teams like that, and they weren't. That's on him. He'll own that. But to then ignore the 45 against NC State, the 42 against Navy, the 56 against Tennessee State, the 48 against USC, the 58 against Pitt, the 45 against Wake Forest, the 56 against Stanford is also missing the mark completely. It's 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 every bit as bad as someone who just looks at the numbers and says, Jared Parker was a record-setting offensive coordinator, period, end of story. Mm, you're missing some really important context there, my friend. The same is true when people only focus on the cup, the few bad games and don't give him credit for all the other things he did. That, to me, is also missing the mark. So, to me, it's not about productive versus efficient. Efficient, to me, is not how I define that. Efficient, to me, is just, it's, it's you know, are you making the most of your opportunities? That's what efficient is to me. To me, do you do what you do when you have to do it is not about being efficient. It's about are you money, right? Are you money? Are you a money player? I mean, you could go back and look at John, my favorite player. Y'all know I love talking about John Elway, right? To me, you could look at John Elway and say, he had some years where you just look at the numbers and say, boy, that that those aren't great numbers. But then you're like, how, they made the Super Bowl that year? Why? Because the John Elway was a money player. John Elway can suck for three and a half quarters, but you better not have that be a one-score game in the fourth quarter because you are done. Over. Done. What's the one Super Bowl that the Broncos played in his five games where the game was competitive in the fourth quarter? The one. He was terrible. John Elway had less than 100 yards passing going into the fourth quarter of that game. But he went over. And he made some money plays in the second half of that game, right? Just he was 37 years old. He was on bad knees and all this stuff. But when the game was on the line, he made plays. He was money. He was clutch. Joe Montana's had games like that. You know, you, you go back and look at the um, the the super. What was it? Was it Super Bowl 20? Uh, I'm gonna look this up and and because uh, I want to I want to make sure that I'm accurate on this Super Bowl box score because I know the Niners and the in the the Bengals played twice, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. It was 23 is is what it was. And I remember that game because if you go back and you break down the game, like Joe Montana was good in that game, but he wasn't great, right? I mean, they were losing 13-6 to going into the fourth quarter. But in the fourth quarter, Joe Montana was Joe Montana. You better not let it be close. So even though the numbers aren't going to be great, are you money or not? And then there's other teams and other players where you'll put up a ton of points. Minnesota Vikings, 1997, right? Or 1998. Remember the Broncos second year, second Super Bowl, 98? Everybody thought it was Broncos and Vikings. That Vikings team was phenomenal. Phenomenal. You had Randall Cunningham at quarterback. You had Randy Moss. You had Chris Carter. Uh, you had Robert Smith at running back like that. Yeah, uh, didn't you have? Didn't they have Jake Reed on that team? Team too. Let me go look that up. Yeah, Robert Smith was a thousand yard rusher that year. You know, Randy Moss was a that hundred yard player. Chris Carter was a hundred yard, a thousand yard, I should say, player. Yeah, Jake Reed. Jake Reed was on that team that year, and that team was loaded. I mean, they were scoring so many. I mean, 
here's 31, 38, 29, 31, 37, 41, 34, 31, 46, 48, 38, 50, 26. First round of the playoff, they scored 41. But when the games mattered most, they got beat by the Falcons because they weren't money. They weren't a money team. So to me, that's what it comes down to. And I and I see some of the chats, some of the comments, and some of them are just so absurd, absurd, that it's like you have a you problem. It's not a Jared Parker or Notre Dame offense problem. Your inability to see – like somebody's, oh, they ran up against high school teams. That's so childish. That's so childish. And and the schedule this year, it's, it's like the people that say that will be the first ones complaining when Notre Dame doesn't get enough. Well, look how tough their schedule was. Well, hold on a second. You just said Notre Dame scored against only high school teams. Okay, which one is it? Pick a lane. The fact of the matter is, is this offense did some really good things this year. But at the end of the day, I don't care about 39 points per game. I don't care about 6.95 yards per play. Were you clutch when it mattered most? You could score 30 points a game, Is it, if, if, if for all I care, as long as it's 30 points against the best teams you play as well. And so to me, Jim... I like where your head is at from a standpoint of looking at numbers versus these other things, but it's not so much about efficiency. It's about, are you, are you money? Are you a money player? Are you a money coach? Right? What do I say about James Franklin? I mean, James Franklin is the coach you want 10 games out of the year and on the recruiting trail. That's your guy. Get James Franklin in the big game though. And there's about 70 coaches I'd rather have. Fair. Brian Kelly is the coach you want against every unranked team in America because you will win. I mean, for his last five years, that was a given. Say 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. His last five years, I don't think Brian Kelly lost a single game to an unranked team. That is your dude against unranked teams. But in the big moments, Miami, Georgia, right? Last five years, Miami, Georgia, Miami, Clemson, Bama, Cincinnati, Michigan. In those big moments, there's 70 coaches that you'd rather have than Brian Kelly because he's not money. He's not clutch, right? He won two titles at Grand Valley State because he had the best roster in the country by far. He's done some really good things, but he's not money, and that's the key. And that's what we need to find out if the name offense can be. That's that's the key. Can they be money? I don't know. I don't know. The thing I'll say, however, is this team doesn't have some of the excuses that past teams had. The 2023 team didn't have a lot of those. I mean, you could point to, okay, well, the receiving core is banged up, and there's a, but there's no excuse for you weren't banged up against Ohio State. You weren't really banged up against Louisville the way that you were maybe against Clemson. Right? There's no excuses for the way you play. Forget you didn't produce. There's no excuse for the way you played in some of those moments. And that's what this offense has got to get to. And so production at the end of the year averages is one thing. But what did you do when it mattered most? And that's what Marcus Freeman will be judged by. That's what Mike Dembrock will be judged by. That's what Al Golden will be judged by. It's what every other player, everyone part of this team will be judged by. What did you do when the when the, when the lights were brightest? Because you're at Notre Dame. Those are the moments you come here for. And that's they, they simply good. They got to get better in those areas. They have to get better. 
PK with a question. I agree. Players, player leaders have been lacking over the past 10 years. Can you identify key leaders Notre Dame's had on the defense, especially? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, key player leaders were lacking this year, maybe the last couple years. I mean, but but when I look back at the 2018 team, you had two elite leaders on that team on defense. You had Drew Tranquil and Aloha Gilman were phenomenal leaders on that team. You know, you look at the 2020 team, Drew White was a great leader of that team. Jeremiah Sukormo was kind of like lead by example kind of guy. But yeah, I mean, he was a Drew was a very good leader. Kurt Heinis was a very good player leader. There was a lot of accountability with those guys. So, so you 2012, Manti, Zeke, Zeke Mata, absolutely great player leaders. No question about it. And, and so uh, they've had those guys. This team, this team didn't have those guys. There's a difference, in my opinion. Jason Smith, if Steve decides to stay and gives Riley a run in the spring, but Riley ultimately wins the job, will Riley Leonard have a shorter leash than Steve, than, than Sam Hartman if they have faith in, in Steve Angelic? Guys, that's not happening. It's not happening. I mean, in, in your scenario, Jason, if all these things happen, sure, but it's not happening. It's not close. He's not – because, again, Steve would be going into year three at Notre Dame. Riley would be in semester one. I mean, Steve would have to be so much better than Riley – you know, and and I just, just he's not as good as him. It's just not going to happen. I'll be, sh- I mean, anything can happen, right? I guess, right? But I just don't see it happening. I, I, I'd be shocked if that happens. Riley Leonard was brought to Notre Dame to be the guy, and if they had that much faith in Steve Angeli, they wouldn't have gone and got Riley Leonard, and they wouldn't have put the value on him that they did. There's a reason why. So, all right, Jim Halloran with another one. Is the staff better? Is this staff better teachers with all the the young talent? That would seem essential. Well, the two new coaches, well, at least the receivers coach is. I, I don't know that Jared Parker's issue is that he, even as the OC was a lack of teaching ability. I think it was there were other issues. I think it's a pretty good teacher, um, especially at tight end. He was a pretty good teacher. I, I think Dela McCullough certainly is. I think Joe Rudolph needs to to improve in some areas, but I mean, he's a pretty good teacher. I think the the bigger issue is just more of some of the things they were doing schematically, some things they were doing from situational football. You know, I just I, I I think those are those are more important things. Andy Milton fan, what movie title best describes BK? Idiocracy. That there you go. That's my one for that one. What do y'all think about them apples? Shamrocker. Why hasn't there been a formal introduction of Coach Denbrock? There has been through email and a press release. I don't I don't know that they're going to be doing one from a a, a press conference standpoint. They don't have one decided, and I honestly don't know why. I, I no clue. No clue why they haven't done that. Uh, unfortunately for all of us, I don't make those decisions. Chris W. with a question. Thank you, Chris. Very, very uh, interesting question. From 1 to 10, what is your confidence in beating AM in week one? Yeah, I mean, at this point in time, I, I, I can I just need, Chris, I just need to get through spring ball. I don't even know who all AM is going to have right now. They're still chasing guys in the portal. I mean, right now, what's my confidence level? I, in in January, my confidence level is probably a six in January because I don't I haven't seen Notre Dame have one spring practice. They've had one winter workout. I haven't I don't know who all AM is going to have. I'll be pretty sure that by the time we get to AM and we've seen spring ball, we we know who's healthy, we know who wins position battles, we know who's at AM, we know who's at Notre Dame, we get to fall camp. I'll I'll probably feel a whole lot better about that. My odds will probably go up. But right now it's six, and 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 part of the and the only honestly, if Jimbo was still the head coach, it'd be like eight. 
The only reason it's as low as six is because I have a tremendous amount of respect for Mike Elko as a football coach and a leader. That's the only reason it's as low as it is. Chief Brody, do you think Riley Leonard will be accurate enough in the RPO game? I do, uh, very much so. He'll have misses, but yes, he throws the RPO game very well. I know there's this accuracy thing going around now, like that's the thing. I don't think he has a, uh, an accuracy problem. I think he has a consistency problem with his footwork. His footwork will get him in time in, in trouble at times or he'll miss some throws. But no, he he throws a ton of RPO ball and balls, and he's a he's pretty good in those areas. So I'm not worried about that. I think where his accuracy needs to improve the most, in my opinion, is going to be on the intermediate to deep stuff. He throws a good deep ball as far as like velocity and depth and all that kind of stuff, but he'll miss. And I'll just give you a little preview of one of the things I'm going to talk about is he tends to miss inside on a lot of deep balls and post balls, which is a to me a footwork thing, not a not an arm strength thing. It's a footwork thing that, that he's not getting the ball. He's not stepping correctly. And, and his release point is not where it needs to be to get the ball outside. That's more of a footwork issue than anything else that he'll need to improve upon. So I, I'm not concerned about any of that stuff. I mean, if you look at, at where he was to your, to your point, I mean, I'm just going off completion percentage to back up what I see on film, but in 2022, he was 74.1% completions on balls between seven and nine yards. And he was at 88.86.8 completions on balls that were behind uh, the line of scrimmage. So that's a lot of the screen game. And in those, he had five balls that were dropped. So, uh, you know, th that's a pretty high level of drops for that particular position. So I am not at all concerned about that part of his game, to be honest with you it's going to be more some of some of the downfield stuff. And so um, to give you some context and you compare that, so CJ CJ Stroud two years ago was at 77% and 92% of those areas. So obviously CJ was, was higher behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, he had fewer drops, but where they were on the intermediate, intermediate was very similar completion percentage, 74.1 to 777 with, you know, obviously he had the, the some of the issues. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't view that as an issue for me. He'll be fine. He throws that ball per, pretty well. 99 problems, BK1. Do you think there is merit to some of the O-line issues in 23 being due to the offensive scheme, not just fitting the players, i.e. pin and pull versus zone, and overall offensive strategy? To a degree, yes. I thought they did way too much pin and pull. And to your point, 99 problems, the offensive line was solid the first five games. It was solid. It wasn't great. It was solid. It had a couple good moments. But, like, they they weren't great against Tennessee State. They weren't great against NC State. But they really started, like, against Duke especially and then Louisville, they started running a lot more pin and pull the second half of the year, which I think is part of the Joe Rudolph influence. And that hurt the run game a lot. Well, that was Joe Rudolph, though. And and uh, I just don't think they had the guard play to be a team that ran as much pin and pull as they did. Counters one thing. Counters more of quick hitting. You you know, but when they were like running the G scheme stuff and the outside stuff and getting on the perimeter as much as they were, that didn't seem to fit their players. So I, I do think that that had some of the issues. But but again, that that's only part of it. They had issues with a lot of issues this year where they would hit and stop moving their feet on zone duo down blocks, drive blocks, all that stuff. That has nothing to do with pin pull. That has nothing to do with doing things that don't fit your system. That's a technical problem. 
Uh, they weren't great at taking, I mean, even veterans, they would hit and stop. Zeke Crow would hit and stop. Last year, early in the season, Zeke would hit and stop. But then Coach Eastan worked him out of it, and then Zeke would hit and drive. And we would talk about how like the, there was a the couple snaps last year where Zeke would initially get knocked off the ball, but then he'd drive that guy back. Saw that zero times this year. Why? Because he wasn't coached as well at those things this year, at driving your feet, moving your feet through contacts as he, contacts as he was under Coach Eastan. That's just a fact. That's an error Coach Rudolph's going to have to get better. We saw that in the bowl game. Guys would hit and stop their feet. If these players, as talented as they are, hit and drive, they're going to be a lot better, and that and they're going to have to use their hands better as well. That was more about younger younger guys, but even the older guys. I mean, I've talked about this: the hands and face by Blake Fisher, things like that. He regressed in year two. Care what anybody says, he did. Why? Part of that's on Blake. Part of that's on Coach Rudolph because we also, if, if it was only Blake, then that's one hundred percent on Blake, in my opinion. But he regressed. Uh, Zeke Carell regressed, Andrew Christopher regressed, like all the veterans except for Joe Walt regressed, in my opinion. And so that's got to be looked at for, as a coaching issue. Now, the younger players did some good things late, but they didn't ask him to do a lot of that stuff. They were much more inside zone, inside zone, inside zone, to your point. It, but even then, there was still a lot of, dude, stop, mo- stop stopping your feet when you hit somebody. Keep driving. That was an across-the-board problem this year for everyone not named Joe Walt. And that's something that Coach Rudolph's gonna have to figure out. Like, okay, what am I, what am I doing, or what are we not doing in practice that's getting us to the point where we're just not translating that onto the field? And you answer it, and you and you figure it out. Greek and ease two thousand two hundred and six. Who will be our backup quarterback when the season starts? Does Angeli sit behind Leonard, or do we see another post game post spring game transfer out? I hope that we don't see him transfer. I'd like to see Steve stay. I, I would because you all know my opinion of Steve, but Steve still has some ability, and I want as many players with abilities possible. Would Notre Dame be fine if Steve Angeli transfers and it's Riley and C and Kenny and CJ? Yeah, it'll be fine. Would they be even better if they had Riley, CJ, Kenny, and Steve? Yes, of course. And so I don't want to see him leave. Uh, will he be our backup quarterback when the spring starts? I, when the season starts, I have no idea. I mean, if I had to predict today, I, I would say yes, because that's where it's going to be right now. I mean, if, if we're going to go out there right now and start a team, you know, and take, let's say they had winter practices, you'd have Riley Leonard with the ones and Steve Angel with the twos. That's where it is right now. Can, can Kenny or CJ beat them out? They're, they're, they're capable of it. But they're going to have to play pretty well because Steve showed in the bowl game that, hey, look, I can be counted on when the, when I got to answer the bell, I can be counted on to go out there and play the game and, and do some good things. Okay, very true. Now he just has to be able to prove he can do it week after week and have those other guys not be even better than him. And so we'll find that out. But, um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Let's go to the next question here. We have one from Archer's got the last couple. Uh, Archer says, what do you think about Harbaugh requesting immunity in his next contract from UM so he can't be get fired pending the NCAA investigation? Well, number one, what I think about it is he knows they cheated and he knows what's coming down the pike. I don't like you get those people that go on trial and they're like, hey, you should take a plea deal. I'm not taking a plea deal. I didn't do anything. Why would I take a plea deal? to to for a crime that i didn't commit i'm no i'm fighting this right like what do you need immunity from if you didn't do anything wrong what do you need immunity from so you know to me 
I think it just shows that he's 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 knows he's in trouble. And if you're Michigan, that would be really foolish because let's let's say you you find out things that you're not aware of right now. Let's say Michigan, the leadership doesn't know everything that happened, and it comes out down the road that this happened. Right now, you can't fire him, right? Because you you get no no you don't no you don't do that. You don't do that. I'm, I, I would I would not do that. And I just think it's I think him requesting that is just further proof to me that he's he's he wants out. And this negotiation, which he knows is well, I would assume he thinks is going to take some time, gives him some time to do the interview process with teams. And then if he's not going to get an NFL job and Michigan agrees to this or he can kind of back out from that, then he can go back to Michigan and say, well, hey, I always was going to go back to Michigan but I needed some protections. And so, you know, part of the process was interview, you know, you know, you know how I'll spin it. That's a, yeah, that's exactly how I'll spin it. But, um, you know, so yeah, I, I just, I, I, to me, I, that's, that's exactly how I look, how I, how I see the situation in my opinion. I, I think you'll see a lot of that kind of stuff. All right, let's get to the lat. Looks like for now, the last question here is from Archer. He says, do you think Riley Leonard's drop in completion percentage from 2022 to 2023 was solely because of him being banged up 57.6% and 6.7 yards per attempt? A great. Well, it, let me just pull up Riley's numbers real quick so I can kind of throw these, throw these at you real fast. Give me a second. Let's pull up Duke's numbers for last year. So uh, to your point, Riley Leonard last year did only have uh, 6.7 yards per attempt, but he was only at 7.6 the year before. And obviously his completion percentage, as you said, dropped from 63.8 to 57.6. So if you go look at the last two games, if you take out the last two games that he played and, uh, and, and look at his numbers in that regard. So let me just type this in here real quick. So last year, Riley Leonard. So actually, let me just get this number down real quick. Give me a second, Archer. I'll, I'll have this for you here in one second because I did the math wrong on this. It's 120, 126 attempts. And he had 79 completions by 126 attempts. So before the injuries, he was at 63% or 62.7% before the injuries. That includes passing for 44.4% against Notre Dame. Who had the? Let me see here. They number one or number two in pass defense. Notre Dame had the number two. Uh, they were the number two team in the country this year in lowest completion percentage allowed. Here's another thing that factors into why his number was where it was. This year, Riley Leonard had to play against Notre Dame, Florida State, and Clemson. Now, against Florida State, he was banged up. We all watched that game. We, we know where he was in that game. But he did play against Clemson, and he went for 51.5%. He went for Notre Dame at 44.4 and 43-point against Florida State. Here's the top five teams in the country last year in lowest completion percentage allowed defensively. Number one, Florida State. Number two, Notre Dame. Number three, Ohio State. Number four, Clemson. Number five, Toledo. So when you look at who he played last year, they played three of the top four teams in the country that were great at keeping that production down. They were not teams that gave up a lot of, they just were teams that did not, they just did not give up a lot of high completion percentages. And so I think Riley fell victim to that as well. But even with that context, before the injury, he was at 62.7. 
and he was with a receiving core that really didn't have a lot of good downfield weapons. They lost a couple of the good outside players that they had that had some size the year before uh, that I think hurt them a little bit as well. When you look at their receiving core this year with Jordan Moore, Jalen Calhoun, Samir Hagans, you know, n- none of those guys were were big guys. Hagans is 5'10". The other two guys are like six foot. And they were his top guys in 22 as well. But in 22, he also had Eli Pankel, who was a, a, a taller kid. He was a six foot three kid who they had the year before. They didn't have him last year. And and so I think that hurt him a little bit as well. They didn't really have a, a, a great tight end. They didn't have a, a like a, a guy that could really – it was all underneath stuff. They, and then they throwed a lot to their backs. I mean, so you're throwing to a lot of six-foot guys. I think that that impacts it as well. And at Notre Dame, he's going to have like, what, one sub-six-foot guy to throw to? It's completely – even his running backs, even his starting running back is going to be one next year so you, you just have bigger catch radiuses radii for i guess is, i don't know if that's the proper word for it or not uh but but those are things that you look at and say hey that that that's going to play a role in in what you're doing and so and i also think this year they had some drop issues in some of those in some of those games to be completely honest with you uh and so that's something that you have to look at it as well and and when you're talking about evaluating him so but again 62.7 before the injury that's very close to what he was the year before. And that's with, in those five games, playing the number two and number four teams in the country and and, and pass completions allowed. So that kind of gives some context to, to to where you are. So, And then the other thing he said, you said he struggled against Clemson and Notre Dame. He did not struggle against Clemson. If you're only looking at numbers, then yes, he struggled against Clemson. But if you watch that game, he did not struggle against Clemson. He went 17 of 33 for 175 yards, but go watch the game. He made some throws in that game. He didn't have a lot of guys open, and he also ran 98 yards on eight attempts and a touchdown. I mean, they won that game by 21 points because in the second half when he took that big lead, they have to throw a whole lot. So the only way you can say he struggled against Clemson is if you're just looking at the numbers. If you watch the game and you break down the film, like that guy was a playmaker in that game. That's who he is. He's that guy that sometimes is going to go 17 for 33 but make a ton of plays. And that's that's why I say is like you can't you can't just like I, this is not a shot at you, but you're an Ohio State fan, and so in, in Ohio State, if your offense is rolling, you're completing seventy five percent of your throws, and all, that's not the offense he played in. He played in an offense where he had to go make plays, he had to go be a playmaker, do a lot of things, arm, leg, things like that. He wasn't throwing to Marvin Harrison and Emeka Book and those kind of guys, right? He's throwing to, I mean, literally. His number two receiver, and and la- this year, and is actually hold on a second. It, it actually might have been. Give me. Let me just look look this up real quick. I actually think, yes, his number one receiver this year, in in catches, and he was the number two receiver last year, is the kid he beat out for the starting quarterback job at, in 2022, Jordan Moore. So they battle for the starting job. He beats Jordan Moore out. They move him to receiver. That was his top pass catcher the last two years. Think about that. Now you send him to Notre Dame where he's going to have Jordan Faison and Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas and Bo, Bo Collins and Deion Colsey and Chris Mitchell and Mitchell Evans and Eli Raritan and Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price. You know what I mean? Like it, it you're going to see that change, in my opinion. But the way that that he played the game at Duke, 
you're always going to have a lower completion percentage. You're going to have a lower yards per attempt because of the way they play. They throw a lot of balls behind the line of scrimmage. When we talked about this, you can go you can go watch our breakdown of, of Duke going into that game. One of the things we said is they're not going to throw the ball downfield. They just don't have the players for it. They got a lot of short, shifty, after-the-catch guys. They're just not going to throw the ball downfield a lot. And then what's the first, first or second play of the game? He throws a back shoulder and the guy makes a play on it. And you're just like, okay, here you go. But they weren't able to do that. They weren't able to replicate that again moving forward. And and so, no, I, I'm going to disagree that he did not play well against Clemson for your comment. I think you need to go back and watch that game. Against Florida State, he struggled against Florida State Louisville. Those are two very good, uh, very good pass defenses uh, at the time. that, And he was really banged up. Like, And, and by the way, Louisville – had the number 10 pass defense in college football this year and lowest yards allowed per attempt. So you're talking about a kid that played four games against ten, against the 10 best teams in college football at lowest completion percentage. And that's going to impact your numbers. And then when you're doing it on one leg with multiple injuries, your numbers are going to reflect that. And you're doing it with Duke players? Because let me ask you this question. How many times in, in those four games against Clemson, Duke, Florida State, and Louisville – and how many of those games would you argue that Duke had the better roster in the matchup of their offensive talent against the defensive talent they're facing? The answer is zero. And usually it's a pretty significant drop-off. And so, uh, you know, to me, those things are going to factor into it where you now fast-forward to Notre Dame, and my answer question to you is, how many games will Notre Dame play this year in the regular season where the other defense has more talent than the Notre Dame offense? I think you could argue that answer also is zero. So it's a different circumstance. Now, there are also things that Riley's got to do better, and, and I'll break those down on the board at some point in time. Won't dive into those yet. But there are things he needs to do better as well. But that's why I say, man, uh, and it's kind of part of what we're talking about all day, context matters, man. Context matters. And and that's why you can't just throw out no, – and I'm not saying you're doing this, Archer. Right? You're a smart football guy. I know that. But you've got to be able to look at the film and say, okay – did this guy do we need to do to go out there and, and win you football games? Because here's what I know. Like, yeah, his numbers that passing numbers against against Clemson were not great, but he had was it? Let me see. Total offense, he had 273 yards of offense that game, and led them to a 21 point win. He made some plays. He made some plays, man. He made some big time plays. All right, last, we did have one more question pop up from David Jones. He says, Brian, you have commented several times that Pat Coogan is not a guard you want to pull, and neither is Rocco Spindler a ton. Yet they continued calling those plays. Weren't they saying the same thing you were? Apparently not. I mean, I I, I don't know why they would call those plays if they're like, our guys can't pull, we're just, we're going to keep calling it. I mean, that would be terrible coaching. So uh, apparently not. Maybe, maybe they did, but apparently not. So... Anyway, David, good question. I, I just I can't speak for what they did or didn't see. I, I, I have no idea what they did or didn't see. I know I saw it. I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for Jared Parker or Joe Rudolph or Dylan McCullough or Marcus Freeman or Mike Mickens or anybody else. I can only speak for me. I'm going to speak for Brian Driscoll. Um, that's it. So I know what I saw. I'm not always right. But I think in this one we can all pretty much agree that, you know, yeah. You're okay. You're 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 going there. And then Archer did say, "Are A and M and FSU the only teams you can make a case for being able to match up talent wise? Not with their defense. Not with their defense. Now again, let's see who who all Florida State adds. Florida State would be the only one I think it could be close. But their the LSU's defense lost a ton from last season. I mean, a a ton. 
And they were a good defense last year. They weren't a great defense last year. They were a good defense last year. But they're losing a ton off that team. I mean, they lost they lost Walter Nolan. I believe Edron Cooper is going pro. I, I could be wrong on that. Let me, let me just look that up here real quick. Um, let's see here. Texas A&M. I, is he is he transferring? Is he going pro? I I could be wrong on that, but I thought yeah he's going he's going to the draft, so he he left. You look at um, Fidel Diggs. I don't know if he's coming back or not. Shamar Turner's not coming back. Walter Nolan's not coming back. Uh, they lost the the uh, the safety that they had that's going to LSU. That's a really good player. What's that kid's name? I forget that kid's name, but they lost a really good safety that's going to LSU that I think is a good is a good football player. He's a younger guy. So they lost a lot of players from a defense that was good but was not great by any stretch last season. So I, I don't know that I would say that their talent matches up. It's not a blowout, but I don't think they have it. The only one that I think you can make a case for with some of their additions and some of the younger players is Florida State. Now, if we're talking about – but if we're talking about the 2023 Florida State, that's a different deal. The one that had Jared Verse, the one that had Fentrell Cypress. But they're losing a lot from their defense as well. So I'd have to see kind of where where they add. But, yeah, yeah. And I know the Florida State's added guys, but those guys aren't matching the guys they've lost. And and I don't know that I would say that those guys are moving the needle in the way you think they are. But we'll see. But would I say you're nuts for saying Florida State's in that company? No, not at all, man. Not at all. I just say if you're going to say it, they it's it's a yes or no question, right? It's either they have more talent or they don't have more talent. It, it's not a by what degree. It's just your roster's more talented than their roster, or it's not when you're talking about their, your offense against their defense. And I would say with AM, no, it's not. With Florida State, it's arguable, but I think it's not. The rest of them, it's not really close, in my opinion. Talent wise, that but talent doesn't equal. You know what's funny? The third, the the number three team, as far as matching up from a talent standpoint, who has the most talented defensive roster, the number three team on the schedule next year is probably USC, because they will have talent. And somebody in the chat earlier said it looks like Lincoln Riley's taking defense seriously a little bit. And I'd say, yeah, he's made some really good hires this offseason. I don't know that that's going to fix things because you also need to change how you practice. But what I think is going on is he is actually preparing for the NFL. He's hiring a bunch of guys with NFL ties. Deanton Lynn, NFL you know ties. They just hired a – was it a D-line coach or was it a DP coach? The new hire, the guy that hired yes, today or yesterday, he's a guy that was coaching with the Rams this past year. So um, – but as far as – and somebody says who's going to quarterback him. I'm Joseph, I don't know if you just jumped into the chat – um, or not, but what we're referring to in this conversation is Notre Dame's offensive talent against the other team's defensive talent, not not offense and like overall roster. I'm talking the, the the particulars of this was the Notre Dame offense against the other team's defense. So that that's the um, that was where that the the roster talent comparison came from. Uh, so you know that's kind of where that 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 comes from. So um, just so just so we're clear. On that one, because I think as far as looking at USC as a team, who their quarterback's going to be is a is a legit question mark. It's it's either going to be Miller Moss, who had a great bowl game, or it's going to be the kid that transferred in from UNLV. One of those two kids will obviously to, to, to be their guy, but uh, they're not Caleb Williams. But I'm, I'm curious to see who else they do or don't add from the portal. So anyway, everybody, that's going to be it. Thanks, Joseph. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for being with me today. Another three-hour-plus solo show. I may have to not talk to anyone the rest of the day 
try and save my voice, but I enjoyed it. You guys had a lot of great questions, so that mailbag definitely went really long, a lot longer than I thought, but worth it. Really good show. Uh, before you leave, everybody, hit that like, hit the subscribe, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, and I'm telling y'all, I'm telling y'all, you do not want to miss out on what we're doing on the message board at irishbreakdown.com or boards.irishbreakdown.com. Even some of you who aren't Notre Dame fans, if you like talking ball, come on over. I think you're going to enjoy it. But also, as I stated earlier, if you just want to support us financially, but you're not a message board person, you can still sign up and support us. But I've had a lot of people that said, hey, I wasn't a message board guy because I had been on here. It's just not my thing. But I love being on your board because there's a lot of people out talk ball. And there's certain things we don't allow that tries to keep a little bit tame. Sometimes it goes this way, but I always reel it back in. And I think you'll really enjoy the talk that we have. So make sure you sign up for that at boards.irishbreakdown.com. So for me, rest of the team, all of y'all, enjoyed it very much. Have a great rest of your day. I believe we have IB Nation Sports Talk tonight. I'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully I have my, my sidekick, Ryan, with me, my partner in crime, Ryan, with me. We'll see. Hopefully he's feeling better. But if not, I'll be back tomorrow and ready for another show. Uh, we'll break down the defense tomorrow. Uh, in similar fashion to what we did today. It's going to be a lot of fun. So have a great rest of your day, everybody. And we'll see you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.